Michael D. is from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and his home group is the Treasure Map Group. The title of his message is Tapping Into the Power, and he will be speaking for 45 minutes, followed by a 15-minute Q&A. Welcome, Michael. Absolutely. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here today. My name is Michael. I'm an alcoholic, and it is really great to be here today. Um, my uh, home group is the Treasure Map Meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and a friend of mine and I were sitting around discussing um, a meeting we wanted to have. We wanted it to be a, a speaker meeting of some kind. We wanted it to be oriented toward the big book and step work and sponsorship. And uh, we didn't want our home group to be something that uh, um, that just sort of began when the meeting started and ended when the meeting was over, right? We We wanted it to actually be a group. Um, and we weren't sure what to name it. We weren't sure how to do that. We weren't, you know, we had a bunch of suggestions, you know, we kind of kicking a billion ideas around, as you can imagine. And uh, my friend came up with the title, The Treasure Map. And he got that from a line uh, from one of my heroes in recovery, a gentleman named Sandy B. Sandy was out of Tampa, Florida. Uh, one of the finest men I've ever met in this program. Uh, one of my real heroes, candidly. And uh, Sandy would say this he would say the big book is not the treasure right god is the treasure the big book is the treasure map we follow the treasure map to find the treasure and uh i couldn't agree with sandy more um it was a great way to sort of hear that and frame it in our minds um but that's not the answer either uh the answer is applying it to our lives so that we can actually meet and have an experience that we recognize we have. And there's all kinds of fruit that comes from this experience, but it is a real authentic experience with God that we're after. You know, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I had no idea what my problem is. I'm telling you, I absolutely believe wholeheartedly that I had a drinking problem. Uh, the truth is I did not have a drinking problem. I had something much more sinister. I had alcoholism. And just going to lead up to some things and 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 just share a little bit of my experience on this topic of tapping into the power. Um, and the first thing I'll say is, is I need to know what's wrong with me, right? The idea of tapping into the power, like why would I tap into a power? What what does that even mean? Why would I even begin that pursuit if I don't understand what's wrong with me? Um, I'm 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 going to look for different solutions. I can tell you that in my experience, relationship with God, as Tammy men Tamara mentioned earlier, is absolutely the answer. But if I misdiagnose the problem, that's not the that's not the answer I'm going to be looking for. I'm going to be looking for things like sobriety, girlfriend, higher wages, right? If I misdiagnose the problem, there's going to be a lot of false answers out there that if I haven't figured out what's wrong with me, I'm going to go pursue and pursue with passion, right? In my experience of sponsoring people since I came into the program in 1991, I can tell you that a, many, many people who have gone back out, in my experience only, uh, didn't go back out because they necessarily wanted to get drunk. They, a lot of the people that I've bumped into have gone back out because they found a different solution. They found an, sort of the one we're not really talking about here right they found something that made them feel better in feeling better they define that as recovery 
And then they found out later there was no additional power within them to help them through the moments that they needed the help in order to not drink, in order to have a changed life, in order to move past just sobriety into this thing we call the spiritual life. You know, it's interesting. Um, in Alcoholics Anonymous, that sobriety is the starting line. It's not the finish line. It's the starting line. And, and so how do we initially tap into this power? Well, my experience would say, and, you know, everybody sort of has a different function on this or a diff, not a different function, but a different look at it. In my experience, the very first thing I must do are steps one through nine. If I'm even going to remotely tap into this power, I have to move or allow God to move this selfishness out of the way. It doesn't say God isn't around me. It says I'm I'm blocked from him. I'm blocked him, almost as if I'm standing in the shadows of this mountain of selfishness, this mountain of self-centeredness, this mountain of a mind that tells me I have all the answers. I know what's right. I'm not going to go as far as those people. Maybe steps one, maybe two, as I define all of it, and maybe three. Maybe if that helps, I'll do it. Other than that, I'm not. I, I conditioned my recovery by the limitations I put on myself for the work that I would and wouldn't do. Uh, in my experience, uh, if I'm not in, I'm out, right? Even if I don't drink, I, I'm not fully in. And, and that's been my experience. I, I would also say that step two is a step that I constantly come back to. You know, the sanity I needed from God to not drink was a lot. It was a lot. I didn't have it when I first came. I met you. I heard your stories and I began to come to believe through your stories, through the work and the stories in the big book that God could work for me too. I, I wasn't a person who didn't believe in God. I was a person who believed that God wouldn't work for me. You see, all of you were good people. I wasn't. All of you were the kinds of people that God loves enough to go help. But man, if you treated God's kids the way I treated God's kids, man, I, I doubted he would work for me. I doubted that he could have that much mercy. I doubted that he could have that much love. I doubted that he could have that much willingness to come and to help a person who had hurt and selfishly lived the way I did. All these, these people around who really, honestly, candidly tried to help me a lot. If you and I were in a friendship or a relationship together, I was going to hurt you. It was just a matter of when, not if. And I couldn't fathom a God who would be just as willing to help someone like me as he would be willing to help someone like you. Now, I misjudged you because every time I heard your stories, you told similar ones to the way I acted. Your selfishness scarred relationships too. And through the stories, through listening, through sitting around talking, through reading that book, I came to believe slowly but surely that God could restore me to some level of sanity as well. And the very first place I wanted that sanity was in the obsession I had to drink. He was gracious enough and he did that. And I'm very grateful for these steps and the power that I found within them. Um, but I have to do them. It's one thing to know about them. It's one thing to speak on them. It's one thing to discuss them. It's another thing to be open and listen to everybody's opinions on them. I mean, all of that is fine. All of that is good. 
but I have to do them. I have to do them. They have to be implemented into my life. And, and once that's happened, once step nine has sort of been completed, I think you'll find what I have found, what the men that I sponsor have found. And that is that a working relationship with God is possible. A working relationship with God is possible. And so, you know, these promises of, that we call the ninth step, those are beautiful. They're, they're, they're tremendous. We're not going to go through them, but I, I got to tell you what we are going to talk a little bit about in this, in this topic of tapping into the power. We're going to talk about the 10th step promises. The 10th step is something that I believe and I was taught when I came in that I can begin working right away. I don't have to do one through nine to get them necessarily completely fully done before I can start tapping into 10, 11, and 12, right? Um, that's just my experience. I mean, it's right, just is mine. And if we look at these promises, although I can certainly um, practice the, the actions of the 10th step to receive the promises, I believe, I believe that I either have to be deeply in the middle of steps one through nine in order to get the 10th step promises or have completed them. So I'm not saying you can just start up right at 10, not do any of the other work and suddenly get these promises. But but I want us to sincerely think about these. It says, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. How about this one? For by this time, sanity will have returned. And that's an enormous promise. That's an enormous promise. And it's important because all the way back in the doctor's opinion at the beginning of the book, before we get here, Dr. Silkworth tells me that my problem is that I have an inability to differentiate the true from the false. And what does that mean? It means that false things look true to me and true things look false to me. It doesn't say you're not sincere. It doesn't say you're not trying. It doesn't say, Mike, you're weak-willed. Now, all of that may have been true, okay? That's not the point. It says that I have an inability to differentiate between the two. I couldn't see what was being sent to me, whether or not it was true or false. And so I'm walking around planet Earth, sober, dead, sober, receiving all this stuff, all this information from the fellowship, all this information from the big book, all this information from CDs and conferences and tapes. And man, I'm just I'm soaking it all in and I can't determine any of. It. I'm at work in my career is not going forward. I can't determine what I should be doing there. My relationships are crazy over and over and over and over again. It's nothing to do with drinking. I'm stone cold sober. It's that way because I can't differentiate true things from false things in the relationship. This process of four through nine began to bring some clarity to those things, began to bring some sanity to those things. But step 10, 11, and 12 practiced on a regular basis brought something larger, larger. It says, if tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, right? And we will find that this has happened automatically. Well, it's happened automatically. You know, when I come into meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, still even today, I hear people say, God, man, you got to do, you got to do, you got to do sober, 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 sober. And I don't disagree with that. 
Don't disagree with that at all. But at some point, I have to stop being my defense against the first drink. And I have to allow God his proper place in my life. Or as you and I might say it today, I'm going to let God be my defense against the first drink rather than being it myself. I can tell you that over the time of 56 years old, been sober for since August 27th of 1991, prior to August of 91, I had periods of time where I was my defense against the first drink. And I had some months, some time that I could put together, but I could never have consistent long-term sobriety. Why? I lacked the power. I was never designed as a human being to be my own power. I was never designed as a human being to be the final end and source and aim of my existence. That's why selfishness and self-centeredness destroys me and breaks me every time. I'm, I'm kneeling down before the wrong altar. My altar is a mirror. <laughs> that's, that's not the right altar. It isn't me. I don't will me sober. I don't muscle up enough strength just to not drink today. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. I think it's the opposite. Instead of saying that somehow I can get through today, and that's true, I can. And so can you, with the help of God. That instead of being my own solution to this problem, I think it's more about surrendering to the one who has all power. I think it's more about submission to the one who has all power. It's not muscling up and being strong enough. It's recognizing the weakness and going out, reaching out to the one who has all power. That's right next to me anyway. He's just looking on. He's wondering if I'll invite him in. He's wondering if I'll let him in. Or Mike, is this another thing that you're going to control so that you can take some sort of credit for? Right. So that you can sort of applaud yourself into, I don't know, self-worth or self-esteem or these some of these words that we use. I got to tell you. My self-worth grows if that's something that I need when I'm on my knees before him rather than before a mirror touting my own goodness. I got to tell you, that's not only bad things have resulted from my self-glorification. Right. So it says these things happen with not any thought or effort. It just comes. That's the miracle of it, it says. We are not fighting. it. We are neither avoiding temptation. I don't get up every day and look in the mirror personally and say, today I choose not to drink. Instead of getting up and looking in a mirror, I kneel down and look up to the one who has all power and ask him to be my source and ask him to be my strength. And I tap into that power as early as possible, right? I wake up, hit the alarm, whatever, my little phone goes off. I ask then, please, God, direct my thinking today before I'm out of bed. Or at least I try to. Am I perfect at it? Statistically, probably not, right? But regularly, often, more often than not, I'm asking God for help before my feet ever hit that carpet. It's as we feel, though, as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We've been placed. Didn't say we went there. Didn't say we were smart enough to figure out where that place was. And so we decided we were going to go over there. It says we were placed. 
in a position of neutrality. We're not even sworn off. It says instead the problem has been removed. Proof that I'm tapping into the power is that the problem has been removed. God and my active, destructive, self-centered alcoholism cannot coexist together. It's going to be one or the other. It says we are neither cocky nor afraid. This is our experience. This is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And I, and I find that to be true. And I pick up these lessons in four through nine that I get to apply into my life in 10, 11, and 12. And that is the way I have found to tap into this power. And I got nothing without it. I'm just being honest with you. That, that's not like a clever, witty AA thing to say. Like, I can tell you candidly that when I run my life, I move my life farther away from the potential that my life could be. My job in Alcoholics Anonymous, I think, my sponsor would affirm this, but I think, right? I mean, I'm, and believe me, I'm leaving the door open to say, hey, I, you know, maybe I'm all wrong on this. I don't think so, but maybe I'm all wrong on this. But there are certain things, certain things over the years that I have read that would lead me to believe that as I live life, step 11 and step two are going to have to become extremely important to me. Not just step one, but step two and step 11. And for me, they are tied. They are welded. They are bonded. They are glued together. As I live my life on a daily basis, as I'm just sort of out there trying to love my wife, trying to love my children, trying to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, trying to sponsor men, trying to be sponsored by my sponsor, by being an active home group member, all these things and living my life, paying my bills, saving for retirement, whatever is encompassed in a human life in 2024 on planet Earth. I'm out there trying to do it just like the rest of you. I don't know what you experience when you do that, but I can tell you what I experience. Um, I experience challenges, <laughs> problems, occasional frustrations, right? Sometimes you show up, so resentment has to be a part of this. Just kidding. That was a joke, right? Fear, right? Fear. What are you going to think of me? I want you to like me, but what if you don't? What will that mean to me if you don't like me, right? Fear of, of, of man, a million things, a million things. And if all AA offered me was the ability to tap back into myself, back into my own power, the only thing it would be doing is be a big circle, right? But it's not a big circle, right? It's like an escalator. It's up. It's always going up. It's always going closer and closer to him, calling me to deeper and deeper levels of surrender. Now, I don't know what your experience is, but my experience is, is that even the program itself formally written down in our big book, had shocking, unbelievable things in it that I wasn't expecting. I was not expecting. Like in my fourth step, I understood that I probably needed to talk about resentments. I got that. Got it. That made me, that, that made sense to me. I was angry about everything. Fear made sense that I would look at fear. Why? I was afraid of everything. That made sense. And then they tell me I got to do something in addition to those two, right? And that's my sex conduct. I'm supposed to inventory my sex conduct. 
And I went to my sponsor. I'm like, what does that mean? Right? Well, what do you weirdos want to hear about all this? Like, come on, I don't want, I don't want to share any of this with anybody. This is what my head was telling me. He said, Mike, it doesn't say it doesn't say you inventory your sexual activity. It says you inventory your sex conduct. Mike, what's sex? And I was like, dude, if you don't know by now, like, well, we need to talk about a lot of things, right? And he said, no, no, that's not what I mean, right? He's like, Mike, sex is a noun and a verb. You're looking at it like it's only a verb. We want to know. We want you to look at your life as a man. We want you to do a conduct inventory of you, right? So I had to look at these things. What, where in my life am I broken as a man, right? And I got to tell you, I found stuff everywhere that I didn't even know was haunting me, that was swimming around the fishbowl unnoticed. There was no spotlight up there for me to see it. Things like this. I gauged how important I was by what you thought of me. So my job when we were together was to get you to think good things about me. So I'd act and pretend in ways that I thought would solicit good responses from you. I would manipulate. I would be more than willing to lie and manipulate you to get you to think highly of me so I could feel good. Anybody with me on this stuff? This stuff was, I was crazy. I would look at my 401k and I'd be like, see, you're, you're doing good. And then the market would fall 3%. And I'd be like, see, you suck. Like it, it was nuts. It was nuts. I had an inability to differentiate the true from the false. And I was stone cold sober in the middle of working steps with a sponsor and a home group all at the same time. Something was missing. I was seeing something wrong. I wasn't trying to see it wrong. I couldn't help but see it wrong. And so that was one of the shocking things. I'm supposed to write a sane and sound ideal for my future sex life right there in the middle of page 69. And I was like, well, that's kind of strange. I was supposed to, in step five, take an hour and go home and sit and read the first five proposals and thank God from the bottom of my heart that I know him better. And ask myself these sort of questions of sincerity. Are the stones properly in place? Have you tried to make mortar without all those kinds of questions? And that was shocking. I didn't know that. I mean, I diagnosed what the steps were going to call me to by what they said on the board. And when I went to the book and there was more explanation, more detailed information on how to do these things in the book than just on the wall, it was a bit shocking. I'd hear hours and hours and hours of people talk about six and seven. And if I read the big book, they're simply prayer requests. God, I am, I am unwilling to let you have this defect. Please let me turn it over to you. God, help me let you take these defects. Help me be willing. Grant me the willingness that I don't have so that you can fix me. See, I thought I was supposed to like look at my defects and make lists and break them down and understand knowledge about all these terms and what is a virtue and what is, you know, those are all helpful things. 
as long as I'm on my knees asking God for the willingness in step six that I don't have to grant him permission to come in and fix the parts of me that are broken. Step seven, my creator. I am now ready that you should have all of me, good and bad. You know, I was only using God for defect removal. He was like a, the, the heavenly sanitation service. He swings by the house. He picks up all my garbage and then he goes away. Hey, we'll see you next week. Like I, I was trying to get him to, to like take these things away without actually being a part of a relational exchange with him. And it says he doesn't just take my garbage. He's not here just as some very convenient defective character removal service as I deem the defect to go when I deem it to go, and on what conditions I'm allowing it to go. It says good and bad. What could the grace of God do in my heart if I would just let him be God and Mike be Mike? What what could he actually take and when? Maybe right now. Maybe right now he could take the biggest thing that haunts me if I would just let him. But that's only half of it. That's the bad. What's the good? What if me loving you with my power wasn't remotely good enough for what you need from me? What if I was to actually allow God to love you through me? What if I was to let God be the source of my goodness as well as the changer of all my badness or the remover of all my badness. Maybe it was both. Maybe I'm to use God's power to alleviate vice from my life as well as grow in virtue in my life. What if he's the battery pack for both of it? Now love isn't limited by what I can take and how much you don't irritate me. And, and, I'll make judgments in our relationship based on how you make me feel. That's me doing it. That's me doing it. This God that I found when I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous at 24 years old, this little punk kid walking in, confused, crazy, nuts, selfish. God loved all of that kid. Not the good parts. He loved all of that kid. And what he said is, if you let me continue to love all of you, I'll make you reborn. I will give you a new life. I'm not going to fix up the old life. I'm going to give you a brand new life. My relationships don't need me to be better. They, They need me to be conduit for the one who has all power. Our book doesn't say God has a lot of power or a bunch of it or like big parts of it. He says he has all power, which means that anything that stands in my way from more effectively loving you is my unwillingness to let him love you through me. I got to get out of the way, man. What does step 11 ask us to be? Channels. Channels. Not improved people. St. Francis didn't say, hey, Mike, try harder. Hey, Mike, get your act together, buddy. Right. What he said was open up. And let the flow happen. Let the flow happen. That's tapping into God. When I'm a channel, when I'm out of the way, when I let you be you and I can be me, 
but I love you enough to try to help you if you ask to get closer to him. I love you enough to set aside my selfish desires. If, if you are in a spot where you can't give to me what I need, the demands of that, I can tell you how I had relationships before. I'd have a need, as every human does. I'm not bad for having a need. But if you didn't provide it to me the way I wanted it, at the time frame I wanted it, in the volume that I wanted it, and not not a little bit more either. I mean, you're, you're only going to give me what I want and need. Then everything else is like your selfishness. I'm, I'm, I'm walking around trying to act like I'm wise and I'm a complete fool, complete fool. Now, candidly, I didn't mean to be. I wasn't trying to be. But I couldn't be a channel. There was too much me blocking the flow. Tapping in to the power means getting out of the way. Really, in some sense, that power. If it's really going to flow through the universe and I'm going to be a part of that, he's not asking me how to do it. And a lot of my prayers, as we move through this thing, we get into step 11 here. I was telling him how he should do it. Hey, Tamara's my friend, but you know, she's got that quirk in her personality. God, if you would just take that quirk away from her, our friendship could be so much better. Hey, there's Bob and Steve and Marty and Leanne and all these good people. If, can you change them this way so that they'll be more comfortable to me? That I mean, God, if I had more money, give me more money. Help me lose weight. Fill in, fill in the bald spot, God. Fill in the bald spot. You want to give me self-esteem here? I mean, it, I'm pulling all the strings and I'm not letting God be God. And I'm certainly not Mike Heaven, Mike be Mike, because Mike has no power to do any of that stuff. All my relationships fail. Because I really believed I knew better than God. Now, I wouldn't have used those words. And if you asked me directly, I would tell you I could never know as much as God. But my behavior was telling a completely different story. You have these three grandkids, man, and they're great. Right. And there's two shows they really like. One is Peppa Pig and the other is Bluey. Right. Now, if you're an intellectual icon like I am, you love those shows, too. And the point is, is imagine if you were watching Bluey and the only sound coming through the whole TV was Peppa Pig. Like none of it would make sense. None of it. And I got to tell you, that's what I was doing. Unintentionally. In some ways, I probably had to make those mistakes to learn that I was making those mistakes so I could go back to the work and see them differently. But man, if you've been in recovery for a while and money and relationships and relationship with God and whatever else might be shoved into your world and your life just ain't working out. What's the answer we hear? So, hey, you better go back and do a four step. Where in the book does it say our answer is the fourth step? I got to tell you what I found. I'm not saying not doing a good fourth step is a, is, a, is a good idea. Of course it's not. And I'm not saying don't go back to inventory if you need to inventory more. That's great. I'm saying the process is called four through nine. Not four, four through nine. And step 11 empowers me 
empowers all of us when used to go back to step two and find a God that can restore us to sanity in all of these other areas of our life, not just drinking. If you got problems in your marriage, God is big enough to fix them. If you got problems in your work, God is big enough to fix them. If you got problems in your finances, God is big enough to fix whatever else might be ailing you. I don't know, couldn't even say, won't begin to. Here's what I do know, though. God is big enough to fix it. Have we been restored enough to sanity to believe that? I've had to get bigger and bigger gods as time has gone by in AA. Because I and my ego unintentionally limited him, blocked him, refused to let him help me. Why would I do that? Well, our book on page 55 says it's pomp, calamity, and worship of other things. Pomp is my own ego. I know better. Calamity, that's internal calamity, stuff that goes on inside myself. Emotions, attitudes, and ideas that I currently carry that need to be, as Dr. Jung told Roland Hazard, need to be cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions need to be dominating but I hold on to them as if they're some sort of form of identity for me. Like, I, I don't know how you are. I'm just talking about me. But like, there was a period where like, I judged how well I was doing by the people I didn't like. I liked all the right people not to like. It showed how great I was. Like, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. And then the big one. Worship of other things. Our our big book in, in, in chapter We Agnostics talks about, right from Bill's pen, right? That we are worshipers. That we are lovers. That we are believers. That we are faith-filled people. It's just in all the wrong stuff. <laughs> Bill says all you need to do is change your perspective on this. Tapping into the power. I never figured me as a worshiper. I figured me as someone who was cool. That's kind of how I looked at my, I was pretty cool, right? I was a worshiper of myself. God, forgive me, please. I was a worshiper of myself. I judged and criticized everything and everyone. Why? Because I was the plumb line. That's very hard to be a channel when you are clogged with yourself. At least that's been my experience. The steps move that stuff out of the way so I have the potential potential to be a channel. And step a lot, step 11 to me widens the pipe when I'm tapping into the power, step 11 widens that pipe so the channel can be bigger. And what is loving and what is virtuous and what is beautiful and what is true can come through that channel better than it could when I'm blocked with me or portionally blocked with me. On page 80, excuse me, 98 in our 12 and 12, it says this. Those who have has come to make regular use of prayer would no more do without it than we would refuse air, food, or sunshine. And for the same reason. We would, when we refuse air, light, and food, the body suffers. And when we turn away from meditation and prayer, we likewise deprive our minds, our emotions, and our intuitions of vitally needed support. 
as the body can fail its lack of purpose, excuse me, can fail its purpose from lack of per- lack of nourishment, so can the soul. So can the soul. We all need the light of God's reality, the nourishment of his strength, and the atmosphere of his grace. To an amazing extent, the facts of A-life confirm this ageless truth. And we all know that's true. We all know that's true. The thing that I've found about prayer and meditation is that if it becomes something, not just that I do, and there are times where I just got to will it, admittedly, after all this time, there are days where I just have to will it to get it done. I'm in the wrong spot inside. I'm having uh, anxiety or emotions about just stuff in life. Not that it's making me drink, because it's not, but it's there and it's bothersome. And it's just, it's like a gnat at the picnic, you know? Well, the truth is, those are tools that God is using to mature me spiritually. Those are things that God is using to beat the selfishness, lovingly, I might add, out of me. He's not like punishing me in that sense. But what he's doing is he's sort of shaking the kid. Come on, son, wake up. Come on, wake up. Come on. Go a little deeper. Go a little further. And I got to tell you, that's been a great blessing to me. All of those seemingly minuscule problems or notions or aggravations or resentment, whatever they, whatever you want to call them, those little irritants. God uses every single one of those to bring me back to him. 10, 11, and 12 is how we tap into this power. And it has to be fresh and alive, and it has to be current for right now in this moment. Not later. Now. Right now. And if I can stay connected to him in the moment, there's a possibility that I could follow the three rules of life. And that's all I think there are. I think there's only three rules in life. Maybe there's more. I don't know. They're probably not as simplistic as I'm about to lay them out, but we're people of simplicity, right? So there might be more things attached to this. I know in my faith, there's more things attached to this, but just to keep it in bite-sized chunks, the first rule of life is do whatever I can to receive God's love. That means anything. 12 steps, home group, sponsor people, prayer, don't limit God. Don't let my own religious bigotry stand in the way of me seeking him in a manner that maybe other people feel uncomfortable with. If I'm called to go do, my job is to go do. Not to not do if you don't like it. I was in a meeting here not too long ago, and there was a young man talking about he wasn't raised in the church. He had no religious background at all. And, And he went off to this meeting, and he heard about God. And man, the next Sunday, he was walking down the street, going to the store and down the block from where he lives is a church. And he popped into the church. Why? Why not? So <laughs> so he goes into the church and he's telling the stories like, I don't know what the people were doing. There was a guy. He had all kinds of funny clothes on. Like, I don't know what was happening in this thing. Never been to church in my life. It was one of the first times I've ever been there. He goes, but I could, I could tell that those people had something, right? And after the meeting, a well-intentioned long-term member went up to this guy and just shut him down 
with an AA level of self-righteousness that made me sick to my stomach. This guy wasn't preaching religion. This kid was preaching seeking at his young amount of time in recovery. And all he was saying is, I didn't know, so I went to look. And this kid got his hand slapped by this guy. We don't talk about religion at AA. We don't. Blah, blah, blah. And he went off. Now, that guy didn't just affect that kid. He affected everybody else who was in that meeting. I, I'm a big book guy. Tell me where in the book I'm not supposed to talk about religion. You can't find it, right? Tell me where I'm not supposed to go seek God, including in religion, if that's how I feel I'm called. It's not mandated by any means, but it certainly isn't the worst sin we could commit. I mean, that's just foolishness to think that way. The world, as our book says, as Bill, our founder says, as Dr. Bob practiced himself, is filled, filled with books, with priests, ministers, rabbis, whatever, who can help us, who can guide us if we're taking it in the right spirit. Tapping into that power doesn't mean not approaching that stuff. What it means is listening to our hearts. And if we feel called to it, go look. It also doesn't mention AA conferences in our big book when it comes to growing closer to God. But no one in their right mind would try to talk somebody out of it because it doesn't say to go do it in the big book. If we can be fed, if we can receive God's love, we should go and do whatever we can to receive God's love. That's rule one, receive God's love. Rule two, give every single bit of it away that you get. Keep none for yourself. Keep none for yourself. Love everyone around you in a manner that would be sourced with God's power. Not your limited power, but his unlimited power. So the first rule is receive God's love. The second rule is to share all of God's love that we have. And the third rule, very simple, very simple. Chronically repeat rules one and two every day for the rest of my life. That's it. That's the whole thing. And the only way I can do that is if I tap into him. And so I got to lay aside my prejudice and go where he calls me. I got to help new people in the program find this thing or old people in the program find this thing. You know, look, if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous, I want to welcome you. I want to let you know that if you do this work, your life will change. It never has to be the same. If you're a long timer in AA, if you're an old timer in AA, I want to thank you for the example. And we stand on your shoulders with respect. And if you're like me, I've been around 32 years. If I'm somewhere in the middle between newcomer and old timer, right? If I'm in that group, there's some dangers that are there. And one of the dangers that I've found is we can hide really well because we know the language now. We can, we can put a veneer up of Alcoholics Anonymous, astonishing miracle of recovery. And underneath and behind that veneer, we're dying. We're dying. We don't need to die. We need to live. God is calling us to live. And we can live in his love by tapping into him. We can share his love by tapping into him. And I got to tell you, I'm never going to recover real recovery, real heart change, real new life, real rebirth. If I don't just let him love me. 
I have five seconds or six seconds here and I don't want to go over. I want to be respectful. So I just want to thank everybody for having me here today. T, we love you. Thank you for inviting me. God bless all the service workers. And thank you very much for, for having me here today. Thank you. And thank you, Michael, for a absolutely fantastic talk. It was quite inspiring. So while you guys are getting your hands up to come in and ask Michael a question, I have a question from the chat. Uh, do you always see other people as God sees them, or can that be a challenge for you, Michael? Oh, it's always it's always a challenge. It is always a challenge. Um, this uh, this this idea of tapping into God is sort of a relentless uh, challenge, right? I have to be with God right now. You know, and I'm, and I, I don't know if anybody's like this, but I'm kind of squirrel. I'm kind of that guy, right? I'm like, hey, you know, I can, I can lose it in a matter of seconds. But you know, I'm reminded of this story. Um, and it was about a kid who, who, you know, took a chunk of his old man's wealth and he ran off and he lived a crazy life like many of us maybe have, right? And he comes back. He comes back home after he blew all the money and blew all the stuff on debauchery and craziness that he did, right? And this kid wanders home. And, and what he found is he wasn't even home yet. And what he found was the old man was sitting on the corner waiting for him. And he ran home. And as he ran, the, and the father ran to him. Right. And he found home back in the father's arms. Now, that's whatever you think of that story, you can think of it. But the point that I'm going to make here is that that is home. Home is when we run back into the father's arms. And for me, I got to keep running back to his arms. I got to keep going home. And um, because I can get distracted and I can get pulled off the beam. And I certainly in no way, shape or form, if I have indicated that I renounce it right now, that I've got this thing worked out. Right. Because that's not the case. I am forever seeking. I am forever reading. I am forever trying to stay um, in what Brother Lawrence calls the practice of the presence of God, to be alive with God right now. That's that's the hardest challenge of my life. And so I, if you're struggling with that, I deeply, deeply respect your question. Um, and I think the solution is to continue to run home over and over and over into the arms of the Father. So thank you, and God bless your question, and God bless you. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> And Mary Ann, please come in with your question. Hi, um, I'm Mary M. Alcoholic, real alcoholic, as it says in the book. Hi, Michael. Unbelievable. I just was, my sponsor sent me the the link for this meeting and I'm usually at work and I jumped on it and oh my goodness, just one beautiful thing after another. I just wanted to say more of a, more of, I really... I could really relate, and I've been sober quite a while, but I could really relate. When I came in, I had, like they say in the book, um, I had um, not good feelings about what happened in, in organized religion for me. So when I came to step two, um, I asked my sponsor, you know, um, do you believe in God? And she said, uh, yeah, I do. And if and will that be okay for you right now? And I said, okay, because I've trusted and believed her. And I've come to know a, I have a personal relationship with 
a um, goddess of my understanding. And in the book, that's what helped me was we can have a God of our understanding. It doesn't have to be a God that's affiliated with organized religion. But I also know your point is meet people where they are is something that my sponsor taught me. And that has helped me so much rather than going to people with all my ideas of how they should be judgmental and, and, you know, all the things that we do as human beings, I really ask God to help me see that I don't have all the answers and then I can meet people exactly where they are with love and tolerance. And I have to ask for that. Like you were talking about constantly help me see what you want to show me. That's my prayer because uh, it doesn't matter how long I've been so it's um, it's, it is a daily moment moment thing. And um, so, it has my life. Thank you so much. And um, I'm so, so grateful to be um, a sober alcoholic and to have a beautiful life. Um, thank you. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate thank it. You, Mary. Appreciate it. Uh, there's a great line. The very last sentence in we agnostics. Um, comes directly from the book of James, right? And those boys, they were reading that like crazy. And that, and that last, very last sentence in, uh, in We Agnostic says, when we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. And I think that's the goal is to keep trying to stay near him. God, show me who you are. You, you tell me. You let me find my peace in you. Yeah, you help me. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. And, Michael and Michael B, please come in with your question. Yeah, hi, Michael. Uh, great share. Thank you so much. You know, I've been to two Bible studies this week, and uh, your study was a lot better than both of them put together. So I appreciate that. And you know, I say that I say that a little tongue in cheek because I went away from Alcoholics Anonymous at about year five and got churchy and just did church in lieu of going to AA. And um, I didn't realize there was something missing until somebody in the program called me out on that. And basically, you know, and so now I, I, I do I do I do them together rather than instead of. But the one thing that I, I, I've been real cautious on and I want you, I want to ask you this question as to how you are. Um, I know it doesn't say we don't talk about religion in the big book. But how do you, do you in 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 meetings temper you, you didn't use Jesus do you do that in meetings do you do you actually do you do you talk about the gatekeeper Allah Buddha Jesus whoever that may be or just God well I would refer you to uh, um, first of all great question and thank you for it Michael that's awesome. Um, cause there's a lot of these questions that get bounced around. I, I would refer you to a great article that our founder, Bill Wilson wrote. You can find it. Uh, there's five or six little articles in this thing called the best of bill. And one of them is called faith. And, um, with all due respect to everybody's opinion, if Bill writes something, I'm probably listening to him first. And, and one of the great things that Bill says is that every person has the right to their faith and the right to their expression of faith. We're not here for evangelizing each other necessarily, um, at least not formally, right? At least not publicly, at least not uh, sort of overtly, right? Um, but, but 
I'm entitled to my faith. You're entitled to your faith. Mary, who just spoke, is entitled to her faith. Um, and and we get to express that because that's part of who we are. And loving each other would call for a sense of love and tolerance, no matter from doorknob to Trinity, like somewhere in between, man. Everybody, I'm not saying there aren't concepts that are more accurate than others. There likely are. Just, but I don't walk around with that necessarily on my sleeve. If I'm asked a question about what I believe, I'll certainly tell it. Um, if I'm asked a question about my experience, I'll certainly share it. And without, you know, not without the desire to offend someone, but with also without a need or a, feel, a sense of apology attached to it. Um, I have my experiences. That, that's all I can share. And, uh, and, I, and I make no regrets about that. And I, and I, but I'm duly respectful to everyone. I, I literally sponsor people all over the place. And I, uh, I sponsor people from every single major religion. Uh, and I sponsor people who don't have any religious faith at all. I'm called to serve this fellowship, and that's what I'm going to do, regardless of what that other person may or may not believe. Without without it changing what I believe. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael and Michael. So, Michael, uh, are you okay with staying for three more questions? Hundred percent, absolutely. Perfect, Lindsay. Please come in with your question then. Hi, Michael. Sorry, where are you? There you are. Hi, Michael, uh, Lindsay Alcoholic. Thank you so much um, for your share. It was wonderful. Um, considering myself a newbie still at three years sober, um, I feel like I've had a, you know, quite a deep rooted faith. And I'd say I could probably pinpoint it to about 18 months into my recovery. Um, and it's been consistently deep rooted since then. Um, you know, a God of my understanding, which I don't have a pronoun for and the concept changes every day and that's great. It just works. I don't. Um, so it is a really, you know, deep rooted faith. And I've had that now, I would say when I hit a spiritual bottom, um, about 18 months in and I grew from that and that's where it came from. Have you ever, my question is, um, have you ever kind of had the feeling that your faith is so deep rooted? Um, but then lost that? Throughout your recovery. Uh, first of all, again, thank you very much for the question. It's uh, it's an intense question, right? So, in, in I'll I'll answer it this way. Father Dowling, who was Bill's sponsor, spiritual director, what have you, um, was uh, a member of the Jesuits, and the, and the Jesuits practice a number of exercises called the spiritual exercises of Saint Ignatius, and they, and they mirror Bill's discussion and, and exercises that he gives us that you and I call the 12 steps, right? Uh, and Bill didn't even know anything that he was, he didn't have any clue that he was remotely sort of mirroring this, but it blew um, uh, Father Ed away so much that he went and had to go find the person who wrote this. And within that sort of system, within that sort of ex these exercises, um, St. Ignatius describes something called spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation. That God can use the joys of the heart to teach us about himself with equal preciseness, equal power, equal results as he can when tears are flowing down our face and we recognize we don't know anything. Um, all things in the hands of God, all liabilities in the hands of God become assets. 
And so absolutely, of course, I've had moments of great joy in this thing where it felt like God had moved into my heart and he's never moving out and I'm going to feel great forever. And then I've had days, weeks, sometimes even candidly months where the agony and the weight on my chest, I just couldn't shake it. And what I found is that great paragraph on page 100 in our big book, I think is the answer here. And and I won't read it all, but just that first sentence. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, if it's a condition, right? If you persist, remarkable things will come to pass. And so I'll let you finish that reading on your own way. But the point that Bill is making there, I think, is that come high or come low, come rain or shine, there's one thing we can depend on. And that's a God who is our father, our director, and our principal, as page 62 tells us, and he ain't leaving. If we want him to stay, he ain't leaving. And to judge my relationship with him on emotions, it's going to get a little crazy. The road's going to curve a lot if, if my emotions are how I'm gauging that. It's really his commitment and love and faith toward me that allows me to have commitment and faith and love toward him. So I, I hope that helped. I hope that answered this. I hope I said that right. I don't know. So thank you for the question. Thank you, Lindsay and Michael. And Tobias, please come in with your question. Sherry will be our last question for today. <clears throat> hey, guys. My name is Tobias. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, thank you very much, Michael. First, it's good to see you again. Um, I always you, love to listen to your message. Um, and one question came to my mind. What do you think are the main obstacles to, yeah, a deeper connection with God. Yeah, I, I think um, there, there could be three things. You know, we talk about uh, pomp, calamity, and worship of other things. Um, but, but I, and, and certainly those, I think, are somewhat of a block for that. I think the number one thing that has blocked me more than anything else is my, my own arrogance that what I have in terms of a relationship with God is good enough. Tobias, this this life is so much better than the one I had when I came in. I don't need to go deeper. I don't need to try to get closer to him. This is good enough. I should be just thankful for this, and that's it. That presumptive arrogance has kept me further from God than I probably should be today. Um, and it's easy to change. You just let go of it, hit my knees, and say, help again, right? You put me where you want me. You teach me what you want to teach me. I'm not going to limit you by my own prejudice. You bring me where you want me to go. So I hope that I hope that helped, brother. It's good seeing you too again. Thank you, Michael and Tobias. Uh, and uh, we have a question in the chat. Can you please speak more about step six and seven and tapping into the power in those steps specifically? That was a question that came in before uh, Sherry. So there you have it. Sure. Uh, sure. Yep. Um, so I think this idea of tapping into the power, um, I, for me, that you, you, you could almost put it together as just communication with or recognition of his presence, or, or an awareness that he's with me. 
It doesn't even have to be formal communication. Very, very often, some of the most intimate moments that I've had with God have been like nonverbal, where I could just sort of sense that he's here. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit humbled by that or a great deal humbled by that. And uh, sometimes it, uh, um, just a weeping of the surprise that he loves me in the midst of my own selfishness, you know? Um, and I think six and seven and the actions that that book calls us to, the simple idea that right now, God, in this moment, I am not willing that you change me. I'd rather have you not. And then in the face of that resistance and obstinance to say, in spite of that arrogance that I'm displaying right now, God, I still, I willfully, I might not feel it. I might not even affectionately desire it, but I'm going to willfully ask you to override that and give me the willingness that I need. Uh, the seven step prayer is so beautiful. Um, uh, and we don't have much time and I want to be respectful to everybody and everything. And, but, but this idea that God should have all of me, all of me, I, I think to be able to try, you know, I'm, I probably won't be able to do it perfect, but just try to let God love me in the midst of it is, is really the key. There, there's a great little spot here. Um, in uh, in our book, uh, AA Comes of Age, Sam Shoemaker writes this little bit, this little paragraph. There's a lot he says there. He didn't write it. He, it's, it's a transcription of what his what his talk was. And I think this little paragraph will speak to that seven step question. So Sam, Reverend Sam Shoemaker um, says at this AA conference. Yes, it is shocking. We had a reverend speak at an AA conference. Didn't violate any traditions, by the way. He was a, he was a, uh, one of the key men in the early days of the Oxford group in New York. Bill met with him regularly, as did several of our other uh, historic members. And he was asked to speak at the first international convention. And you can find this in AA Comes of Age, a transcription of his talk. Here's the, here's the paragraph. Real prayer is not telling God what we want. It is putting ourselves at his disposal so he can tell us what he wants. Prayer is not trying to get God to change his will. It is trying to find out what his will is and to align ourselves or realign ourselves with his purpose for the world and for us. That's why it is so important for us to listen as well as talk when we pray. That's why it is good to begin these meetings with silence. Often we come feverishly, even willfully. And we have got to just quiet down before God can do anything for us. While our own voices are clamorous and demanding, there is no place for the voice of God. That is the thing most of us non-alcoholics get drunk on, just willfulness, just wanting life on our own terms. And it is as neurotic as any neurosis ever was. Everybody that is away from God and tries to do his own will. There's the seventh step part, right? in defiance of God is half crazy. Till our clamorous demanding voices quiet down, we cannot hear the voice of God. When we let willfulness cool out of us, God can get his will across to us as far as we need to see ahead of us. As Dante said, it in his will is our peace. So I, I think to me that sort of sums that up. 
Thank you, Michael. That's a beautiful ending to the Q&A. So thank you, everybody who participated. And uh, I'll send it over to you again, Kira.